Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's inaugural session of Two Points of View at Two. I'm Rex Black, president of RBCS, a worldwide testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, we've delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. Our team of international consultants deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services to companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. As I said, this is an inaugural session. And uh, in this inaugural session, I am happy to welcome Marette Pahayervi. I hope I did that more or less right, Marette. <laughs> uh, that sounds great. Good, good. I'm glad I got that right. Moret's bio describes her as a feedback fairy with a day job at F-Secure, where they call her a lead quality engineer. She identifies as an empirical technologist, tester, and programmer, catalyst for improvement, author and speaker, and community facilitator and conference organizer. You can catch her latest thoughts on her blog at http slash 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 visible dash quality dot blogspot dot fi um, if you have any questions during the course of the webinar for me or for Marette or for both of us uh, submit them at any time and we will answer them at the end of our discussion so let's go ahead and jump into that discussion um, so when Marette and I were first discussing this we thought an interesting topic would be uh, collaborating with developers, which is, of course, a bigger and bigger part of our day-to-day -day work as, as testers for, for a lot of us. Um, so we thought this would be an, an interesting topic to kick around. Um, she and I probably had similar, but at the same time, different experiences. So, Marette, why don't you start off on uh, this uh, topic of what, what, what kind of strategies have you found that work best if you want to uh, approach a developer and convince her or him to uh, collaborate with you on something? So, I've been recently very into this uh, very heavy level of collaboration called MOP testing, MOP programming. Basically, uh, starting the whole work together. So, that's kind of the extreme version of, of how I collaborate with developers. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, it's kind of more on the uh, level of stealth pairing, I would call it. Yeah. Kind of like going to the developer and just asking around questions, whatever is going on. So, so would you say that because there's there's like the textbook descriptions of, of pairing, um, uh, you know, the, the well, the, like the Martin Fowler type of description of pair programming, right? It's, it's two programmers and one keyboard, um, and and I've found that in my experience, that's that I don't see that kind of pairing that much, but what I see and and hear from clients is a lot of sort of that informal. Hey, I've got this problem, and I know this person can help me with that problem. Let me go get together with that person, and and that's this sort of spontaneous uh, pairing on demand, if you will, that happens. Is that is that kind of what you're seeing? Yeah, that's what I call stealth pairing. So you don't really say that you're pairing as such, but you're kind of calling the other person to to do stuff with you whenever you feel there's an opportunity for collaboration and doing things together. Mm-hmm. And do you find that uh, most of the developers that uh, that you approach uh, are are open to that? So uh, it's kind of hard for at least. Well, I work in teams where there's usually uh, five developers and one tester, 
and we are very close colleagues. And the basic idea of how we work is that whenever you have a question, anyone who has a question, the questions get answered. So it kind of makes it very easy for me to say that, hey, I'm seeing a problem here. I'm seeing something that I don't quite understand. Can you come and can help me understand this? And at the best times, they really kind of stick around so that we fix the problem as, as I'm showing it, and we retest it together. So kind of it, it really is an invitation to pair more. But on the minimum, it's just getting my questions answered. Okay. So that that that's interesting. That brings up a couple uh, interesting points. You, you mentioned, I think you said, five developers and to one tester. Is that right? Yeah, that's about the ratio that I have now. It, how did you guys... Um, at F Secure, arrive at that as a as a as an okay number. Is that is it? Well, first off, is that sort of the standard F Secure ratio? And and if so, how did that become? Hey, this is what works for us. So, I changed jobs one and a half years ago, and in my previous place, as I was the only tester amongst twenty developers, oh. and I thought that that was the perfect ratio. I've never had a better ratio, because uh, having so few testers meant that. They really cared for my opinion. Uh, they were really helpful towards me. Wow. Uh, I was uh, scarce, like, you know, you can't always assume that I will be available. That's so cool. everyone, every one of the developers, they were testing like crazy. But they still kind of included me because they knew that the thing that I was doing was somehow deeper and, and found problems that they couldn't find. So now going to F-Secure and experiencing this like lower ratio, I'm sometimes, you know, I'm even missing this idea that there would be even less of us. So there's always this like, you know, pros and cons for having more testers in the team. Uh, for us right now, it's it's more kind of grown out of the idea that uh, when the team needs certain types of activities done, usually test automation and exploratory testing, it becomes more natural to have specialists so that we can ensure that someone cares enough for those those perspectives. That's that's really interesting. So, because it sounds like, um, I mean, to me, even one to five is, is spreading the testers pretty thin. And then you talk about one to twenty, but I would guess that you're as, as you get spread like that, that your your role becomes, um, yeah, more helping developers to do a lot of their own testing better. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's definitely the foundation of what my role as a tester then becomes. Mm -hmm. I kind of would show the developers how to do exploratory testing. I would show them how to do better automation. I would comment on whatever results we would have on testing. But also, my role was usually to do testing deeper than the others. So, well, we've both been, both been testing for quite a while, so I think we share this experience of how hard it is to test something that has lots of bugs. <laughs> so it kind of stops us, you know, all the time. We're just, you know, reporting bugs and, and interrupting and starting over. And, and, and that, actually, it's not the most pleasant way of doing things. <laughs> it, feels, it feels rewarding, right? Yes. You can find a lot of things. But still, you're not actually getting to the, the point of we can deliver this as fast as, as, as you can if you have to stop for the bugs all the time. So what I basically felt is more like the base quality was higher. So I still had to find some bugs, but I no longer had to find insane amounts of bugs. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And that's and and that also 
helps me understand how a one to five ratio is workable too, because a one to five ratio is not going to be workable if you're getting software that's so buggy that you're going through that experience that, that you just described. And I can definitely relate to of like you're in the process of isolating one bug and you find two others while you're doing it. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's just barely keeping your head above water. Right. But if you get, if you get software that's reasonably well tested by the developers and then what's left are really the ones, the kinds of bugs that, um, that they they have great difficulty finding on their own, and that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, wh what would you say, like, good developer testing, not so good developer testing, bad developer testing? How do you what What do you think makes developers better or worse at it? And what are what are some of the things that you think that even the best developers can't test themselves? So. That's actually kind of a hard question because I've been working with a lot of developers on exploratory testing skills and I've found some developers who identify as craftsmen uh -huh. who are very keen on learning exploratory testing and they've become really, really good at you know all sorts of testing. But a lot of times this whole idea of pairing and having two pairs of eyes and two brains in particular, uh, it, just gives you a lot of value anyway, even if you could do it all by yourself. So I don't see it as we have to have testers, but it's always, you know, I find that it's always useful to have one. Yes. So one of the things that happened to me when I was in my previous place of work is that I would pair with the developers on, on exploratory testing, trying to teach them that. And at some point I realized that if I just sat next to them and didn't say a word, they would be able to do almost as good testing as I can do. They would just, you know, look at me and, and see like, you know, my face and, and it's like, oh, you'd want me to click here. Like, I didn't say anything, but they would <laughs> click on the right thing. Like, oh, I know you want me to use a different browser. Like, I didn't say anything again. And they would try a different browser and it would fail. So a lot of times I find that the thing that is missing from developers is this, this patience or like persistence sticking with the problems. And that's something where I find that a lot of testers come with more patience in a way. Yeah. Sticking with the problems longer. Yeah, because we 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 expect to spend time wrestling with problems. That's that's kind of what we do. So yeah, whereas a developer, you know, may be kind of like, well, you know, I expect to spend time writing code. Um, so kind of how, you know, so I, I maybe this is just me, but I know there there are times when I'm sitting doing what I consider to be good and productive work, and I feel very uh, content with that I'm sitting and doing that. And then there are other times when I'm doing stuff that I feel is more peripheral, like I have to do it, but it's I'm doing it to get to the thing that I really should be doing. And I know I don't do as good a job when I'm doing that work that I look at as peripheral. You know, versus when I'm doing something, I think, oh, yeah, this is definitely what I should be focused on right now. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Kind of the love for certain types of activities shows in the quality of that. Yeah, so if a developer, if a developer is willing to learn, I think of what I'm hearing you saying, if they're willing to learn that patience, to learn to see doing that, doing testing as a tester would as part of their of, of that thing they should be doing, that thing that makes them feel content. 
then you think that they can do as good a job of it as as any other any tester that's what i'm hearing you say at least in my experience as good a job as most testers yeah. and again usually the developers are not alone in doing that good job then they have someone to pair with it might be another developer but there's still a second pair of eyes yeah 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 which gets me to something i wanted to, to ask you about and, and kick around a little bit as we kind of wind down and get ready to take some questions is um cognitive biases you know i mean we all have them um and so i've always thought that that's been that's really important an important part of having a, a a tester on a project is that that it's not that the tester doesn't have cognitive biases you know i mean it's not i don't believe that there's like oh the tester is this objective seer of truth but the tester has a different set of cognitive biases than say the developer or the product owner would and that bringing that into the mix kind of uh, you know, uh, tests, if you will, the cognitive biases of the of the other participants. Do, do you see that as a as a valid way of looking at it? Yeah, it's definitely a good way of looking at it. But then again, uh, it might be that tester personalities usually are a bit different, so we come with a set, different set of biases. Yeah. But I also find that a lot of times it's just you know a role or a hat we're taking. So. Another developer I've seen, at least, take that hat quite efficiently and, and just, you know, free their current cognitive resources into thinking in a different way and kind of enhancing the way the other person is, is thinking. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a matter of, of assuming, the, assuming the role, assuming the persona, if you will, of, of the tester. And if they, can, if they can do that, if they can think, put that, 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 hat on as you say that 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 really helps transform the way they they approach it yeah but the interesting part really is that at least i've been doing this 25 years i think you've been doing this even longer than i have okay. and I, I can't say that there would be a day when i wasn't learning something new and still automation is something that i've been you know heavily doing only in the last three years so working with all of these cognitive biases and and things that you need to understand about the world of software to be able to find relevant problems quickly kind of pin into them quite much faster than some other people there's been a lot to learn on that yeah. so i really can't assume that someone you know deciding today that they're going to be starting testing would be as good as i am after 25 years and I think it's the same with developers, that when you don't have that focus, you don't get in as deep as, as you could if you would have the focus. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. Right. It's it, part of it is about mindset. But of course, there is there is a great deal of skill that's acquired in doing it, uh, whatever it is, any any intellectually challenging thing. Um, I actually came into the profession the other way around. I started as a programmer and came into testing through automation. That was what I originally did and have done quite a bit of. Um, and so that's, that's probably contributes to the, a lot to the way that I see testing, you know, um, whereas it'd be interesting to think of, you know, what, what's different if you, if you started from a purely manual point of view and, you know, didn't get into automation until later. I think the main difference, at least in the way that I think nowadays, is from this idea of continuous delivery. Like when we deliver software to production basically every day, 
or every week if we're a little slower. Uh, it really changes things. Like it changes the scope of what we're testing at a time. It makes it a lot more manageable. It makes it more digestible in a way, mm. and and it makes it somehow like just easier to do. There's different kinds of problems, so it's not easy still, but it's just different. So kind of like there's this idea that a um, uh, pool is not just a bigger bathtub. So uh, both of them are containers of water, but like, you know, both ways of delivering software, the fast and the traditional way, they're very, you know, both of them deliver software. But they serve essentially very different purposes. So you would have things like a pool guard, but you wouldn't have probably a bath guard, <laughs> or you would have like, you know, uh, a pool party. It's something that you can, you know, assume to have. But the bath party, you know, sounds a bit more weird. So this is actually things that have changed when we've learned to do things in a different scale that I find that have really changed the way we collaborate and enabled the collaboration so that I'm, I remember these, you know, old times when I was fighting with developers all the time and I was kind of thinking of the ideas on why they can't do this. And nowadays when I'm just, you know, doing it with them, it's hard to remember why it was so difficult. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. That is a really interesting thought that changing, changing the size of the deliverable changes the nature of the testing activity. Um, there's, there's a quote I think is attributed to uh, Stalin of uh, quantity has a quality all of its own, <laughs> which <laughs> I think is kind of not not that you think of Stalin as a you know a wise philosopher of software engineering or much of anything else, but uh, uh, it is it's a true a true aphorism, right? That uh, something that's big, like, you know, big waterfall, twenty four month project is is just it's a different beast than we're building a handful of user stories and putting them into production once a week. So I wanted to still ask you. Do you have any like really fond memories of working with some developers and something that kind of I I could learn from as well? Um, yeah, I I've I've found developers to be kind of on an interesting spectrum that way. Of uh, there are some of them that I've been able to have really good collaboration with on uh, uh, you know talking about testing and talking about unit testing and so forth and and others been more standoffish uh, i have seen the the evolution that you're describing of uh, uh, i don't know if it, if you can attribute it to agile or what exactly to 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 chalk it up to but uh you know, people, developers becoming more cognizant of code and code quality and uh, um, good unit testing and, and uh, you know, what it means to, to be a um, quality-focused developer. So, I, yeah, it's definitely, there, there is a change. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought until you said it, actually, about it being something that's potentially triggered by just the, the size of it, that, that making making the problem somehow more digestible is, uh, um, you know, is, is part of that, that, that change. So, so that's, that's, this is a, a, 
probably a good place to bring in some of our uh, participants here because we have some questions. So let me uh, let me take one from a meet here, which I'll just I'll read it out here, and this is directed to you, Marent. Uh, Amit says you mentioned that uh, stealth pairing is having my questions answered. Do you experience it also the other way around, answering another's questions by pairing with them? Oh, definitely. It works both ways. It's always a two-way street. Right. So it's a, it's not just a I go to you to get information, but it's I go to you to really collaborate, share information. Yeah, it's more on that side. But the reason maybe why I talk about it from this perspective is that I've been putting a lot of effort in the last couple of years into this idea of not using Jira. So actively not writing a bug report if I can avoid it. Mm. So instead kind of like you know pulling the developer sitting next to me and not letting them go if I can, you know, smile and be nice and <laughs> and, and get them to, you know, to fix the problem as we're working together. So I've been really trying to find ways of, of increasing collaboration and getting things fixed faster instead of going into these traditional processes. So I don't see yet, I will hopefully see that more in the future, but I don't see my developers doing that to me as much as I do that to them. Mm. And I'm usually trying to moderate that they wouldn't realize how much I do it. You know, when I, I... I like the idea of that of that close collaboration. Like here, I found this bug. Let's fix it. But one thing that worries me about that, don't put the bug in Jira or don't put the bug in Bugzilla or whatever is, don't you end up losing some visibility into your process and and what's happening with it if you're not you're not measuring defects that are found during um, during an iteration. At least my experience has been that we've actually been gaining more than losing. So a lot of times when we used to write things in the JIRA, uh, we didn't really go and read them and categorize them and measure them in a really good way anyway. Mm. Uh, and it was kind of a high cost also to kind of go through them and have all these change control boards. So some of them still go in there. Some of them still need to go through that, you know, bigger process. But a lot of them already like in the past they never went there if the developers could do the testing by themselves so i'm just you know extending a little bit this idea of what the developers are capable of doing themselves by you know me pairing with them in in getting the bugs fixed and a lot of times my focus is uh, to instead of writing a bug report to actually write an automation test case that makes sure that we you know are accountable for that type of problems not happening ever again oh uh, yeah yeah, one one of the things that I did early on in my career, I worked on a, a database query tool, and uh, when we would get uh, bugs reported in production from our from our customers, one of the things that we would do is get from the, the tech support people a uh, uh, not just the steps to reproduce the bug, but also the data that was used, and we would do exactly that of like create an automated test and put it in our regression test suite. So that if that that bug or anything similar to it ever popped up again, we would find it. I yeah, I'm, I'm when when that works technologically speaking, I think that's a really powerful thing. Yeah, and a lot of it kind of like at least I found that um, some of the developers have uh, like they have these unique ideas of how to turn some idea that I would want to do on a higher level into a couple of unit tests, and then they can run them continuously while while they're developing. Nice. So especially 
with TDD and unit testing skills becoming more, I hate to say mainstream because I don't think they're still mainstream, but closer to that anyway, available to me, let's say that way. Uh, it has really changed uh, the, the discussions that I can have, you know, like I can have an idea and they can run with the idea and make it better. Yeah, that's great. Um, a question from Stefano that I think this is an this is an interesting topic because I hear this and maybe maybe you you've heard this too. Stefano asks, is it somehow that young developers are more extroverted compared to old ones who might be more introverted, and so match better with testers, which perhaps are usually also extroverted? So that that sort of the age. The age thing is—is is there is there maybe not age so much as like a generational thing? Like, are there generational differences? Have you, have you seen that? I work with developers and testers of all ages, and I haven't yet seen a pattern in age. Um, maybe if there's a pattern, I see that younger people are sometimes more afraid of how they look, and they don't want to look stupid, <laughs> whereas the old people. Older people already know that uh, you know it's normal that we don't know everything. Sure. Like I used, I used to think that developer developers don't Google, and and when I started mobbing, basically meaning that we would all the whole team eight people share one computer, and I would see how much they Google. I was like, seriously, is this what you're doing? Like <laughs> I can do this. Like you know, I don't need to have all the answers ready at my fingertips to do this. Yep. So for me realizing that other people are you know human too they don't know things but they know how to go and find those out at least it was a really rewarding thing for me to, to learn so that uh, i don't know the introvert extrovert i've seen introverts amongst testers they are some of the most analytical people that i know and i've seen extrovert people amongst programmers they might be you know then those people who coach others a lot and and talk first and, and think after. But there's also introverts of all ages in, in programmers. Sure. Yeah, and of course, the move towards more of the, you know, the agile type of work styles uh, and pairing and so on, it does it does kind of challenge uh, challenge people who are more introverted uh, to in, in that sort of interaction. There's a great book that I read. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. is uh, by a um, woman, uh, Susan forgetting the last name. It's called Quiet. Uh, yeah, I've read that as well. Yeah, so that's a really good one. And I always I recommend that book uh, to people when they're kind of struggling with that. Hey, I'm, you know, how do I function in this kind of intro or extroverts world of agile development? I, I think that's a good one. Yeah, it's definitely a great book on, on that, that perspective. Yeah. Uh, interesting question here from Silvio. Uh, since we've been we've been talking about pairing and collaboration and so forth, he says, "What about independent test teams? Can it still be a valid option?" Now, what I'm seeing with my, a lot of my clients is that they still have the concept of the test team, uh, but it ends up being a sort of a matrix thing where there's a test manager who might be called a test coach or test coordinator, but you know they're they're more there as a guiding the career of the testers in their teams and so forth. And then the, the, the testers are injected within the, the agile teams and on a, sort of a day-to-day -day basis, um, you know, like what, what am I going to work on today? A task sort of basis. They're, 
they're part of that self-directed team, you know, working on what the team has agreed to work on. Is that, are you seeing that same kind of thing as a way of retaining some amount of independent testing while at the same time um, having the, the, you know, everybody's on the whole team kind of approach? That's definitely the uh, usual thing that I see that there's kind of like a, maybe a virtual team of testers in a way. Yeah. So there's always this home base where you go to learn and make sure that you have the you know the strong foundation from which you you contribute as a tester. Because again, even if the world is has been changing to some extent, there's still a lot of difficulties in testers getting their voices heard. Yeah, sure. You know, the status yeah. differences. Yeah, we but I've also. Uh, especially with like, like uh, customer organizations that need to do their own acceptance testing, the traditional, like almost close to traditional independent test teams, I think they're very much alive and kicking for accepting a major system into production and making sure that it actually fulfills the, the business requirements that the, the process that they're automating has had. Yeah. Another place where I've seen it is uh, something that's becoming increasingly important. Of, it always was important is uh, uh, portability testing, compatibility testing. Uh, you know, you, you've got these the large numbers of mobile devices, for example, that have to be supported. And, uh, you know, it, it's is a good idea in my experience and what I'm seeing with my clients is to have that in in one place you know you've got a lab and there are people and that's what they do you know they're focused on that area and they and they they know where the where the weak spots are you know so i think there's still still is a place where as you say sort of the traditional independent test team is is, is alive and well yeah definitely so i got a question from lena here um she says uh we are completely agile where testers and coders are on the same team and are called programmers. How do you train coders in test methods, for example, risk-based testing? So what are some of the things that, uh, Marie, you, you'd uh, uh, been successful with there? So my main way of teaching people to do testing better is by testing with them. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of, uh, like, you mentioned early on this Fowler's, you know, traditional pairing. I don't do much of that, but I do a thing called strong style pairing, where the idea is that um, if I have the idea, I give the keyboard to the person who has less of an idea. So whoever is on the keyboard is, is, is more like an intelligent input device, and all the ideas of what need to be done on the keyboard come from the, the person who is not getting to touch the keyboard. So that's one of the ways that I train a lot of these things, kind of like, you know, doing the thing together, allowing the other person on the keyboard to talk back to me and encouraging them to, you know, move from the person on the keyboard who isn't thinking into the person who hands the keyboard to me. And, and we actually like, you know, switch who is on the, on the keyboard. But I also do this, uh, in a group setting, and I find it even better. So this whole thing that I talked about, the mob testing idea, is it's really just doing the exact same, but scaling up to eight. Sometimes I've had even 20 people in the same mob. And then it's not just teaching what I knew, but it's teaching what the group knew on how to do a particular type of activity. So I learn as much as others, but I'm able to inject a lot of these kind of like testing 
techniques, uh, thinking on risks, making mind maps of risks, or, or uh, for example, just uh, using some tools so that we can see things below the surface and not just on the UI level. Cool. Yeah. So, so showing them, learning, teaching, showing them. Showing them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So this this get, kind of brings us to an interesting question from another question from Stefano here, uh, and um, he says to me the biggest barrier in the testers developers collaboration in many cases is the knowledge difference. Many old style testers don't know how to code. Many developers don't understand much more testing than unit testing. Uh, and certainly, you know, with my background as a as a programmer, uh, I've always felt that that was tremendously advantageous to me, both in terms of understanding how the software failed, but also understanding um, sort of the developer mindset. But it sounds like you're you're just sort of coming into that now, right? Of uh, uh, getting that, that automation experience and so forth. Uh, so do you, do you think that Stefano's got a point here? Is it, because he's kind of saying that there's a, that, that he's seen differences in mindsets there that if you don't understand what each side does, it's kind of hard to overcome. Well, it definitely takes work to overcome that. But then again, I've also seen teams where there's uh, mutual respect even if you didn't have exactly the same skill sets. So this is definitely something that I'm seeing that programmers are finding it easier to respect testers with a programming background. And personally I think they've always been wrong if they didn't appreciate the testers without the programming background as well. Like, yeah. There's so many things that they could have gotten from them if they paid attention and listened and, and you know try to figure out ways of, of collaborating, even if there's not the code as, as a common language. So Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that be a barrier. That, um, for some of, some of my clients, they have this real sort of kind of geek meritocracy, I guess you could say, where, um, you know, there's, there's the, the official sort of titles and, and hierarchy in the organization, and then there's the the meritocracy, which ends up counting for more, and it's all kind of driven by your code geekdom, you know, like uh, I, I worked with this one client where where the, sort of the Uber, the Uber guy in the whole organization, um, at least from what I could tell, was this guy who sort of single-handedly put together the continuous integration system um, over the course of a few weekends, uh, I'm guessing they were very long weekends, <laughs> and uh, got it up and running. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where everybody else looked at him and said, oh, wow, I could never have done that. So therefore, you're the, you're, you know, he was the top geek. Um, but unfortunately, it was that guy, when I was working with that client, it was really difficult to to get to get his attention, I kept trying to explain to him, you know, your, your testers over here, they could really benefit from working with you to figure out how to take their automation and integrate it into your continuous integration framework. And he just didn't didn't have a lot of interest in that. He's like, yeah, you know, this is testers, uh, you know, that's not very sophisticated or interesting stuff, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I've 
run into some of those experiences myself as well. And you know, there's so many different kinds of people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think my main problem has been recently that I've started to realize that after all these years in testing, uh, I have now certain status that enables me to do things that might be difficult for others. But then on the other hand, I see that I have lack of status so that uh, I have this 15-year-old uh, trainee, a young uh, man growing into tester uh, right now. And sometimes I feel like things that he says get heard so much easier than things that I say. Hmm. But I've also learned to use that to my advantage on getting my messages across nowadays. <laughs> using using the person as a messenger, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he gets some bucks fixed that I don't right now, so. Sure. Yeah, there's a there's an American expression, I don't know if you have it in Finland, of uh, there's no end to what can be accomplished if you don't care who gets the credit. That's awesome. <laughs> we don't have that in Finland. We could definitely use it. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's one It's one I try to keep in mind and I uh, start worrying about whether I'm getting appropriate credit for something. It's, uh, just, that's just not something to worry about. Well, Moret, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I hope you've found it interesting as well. Um, we went we went over, but I uh, appreciate you giving me the extra time. Um, is there any sort of last words you want to uh, impart to the audience before I shut this down? I, I don't think there's anything in that particular. Just, you know, give collaboration a chance. That's kind of my general idea. All right, the John Lennon, uh, John Lennon philosophy, collaboration a chance. Excellent. Uh, okay, well, again, thank you, Marat. This is great. Um, we'll uh, uh, definitely, as I said, be uh, posting this on the YouTube channel and the podcast, so I'll circulate links and so forth to you uh, and and to to other folks via social media as well. So hopefully, we'll get some. Uh, yeah, we'll get some other people out there giving collaboration a chance. <laughs> um, so thank you, uh, everybody, for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this free webinar from RBCS. Uh, we do these as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are a not-just-for-profit company. If you enjoy our free webinars and feel they demonstrate solid insights into the kinds of testing challenges you face, please make RBCS a preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. We're happy to provide a quote for any such help you might need. Contact us at info at rbcs-us.com. Thanks again, everybody. And thanks, Marat, for uh, helping me kick off this, uh, uh, what will be an ongoing series of uh, Two Points of View at Two.